so we are back for another episode of the freewheeling podcast it's a little bit late in the week apologies much like the last one we were waiting for a little bit of timing and the women's Jira Rosa starts on Friday so we're getting this episode out to you guys on Wednesday as a little bit of a recap of the news since the last episode came out but also a preview for the Jira Rosa because it is the only basically women's world tour stage race on the calendar this year Madrid challenge is three days so it's yeah, we pretty much just got the Giro Rosa this year as far as uh, world tour stage races. But before we dive into all of that, I am joined by my lovely co-host. I've got Lauren Rowney. Lauren, how's it going? Pretty good over here, Abby. Can't complain other than the weather, but when you live in Belgium, that seems to be a common theme. <laughs> and I also have Yose Bean has rejoined us. Yose, how's it going? Good, good. There's a little bit of like Indian summer on the horizon here in the Netherlands, so Belgium as well, because, well, for Americans, these two countries are like a state. They're so small. But <laughs> for us, it's it's far away. But anyways, um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to another great bike ride today after this podcast and then the Tour de France and then just all day fun. A lot of bike racing going on right now. We also have uh, Torino Adriatico. There's just too much bike racing to keep up on after months and months of no bike racing. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a lot of a lot of topics to kind of cover today. The last episode we did was right after the GP de Plouay and right before the European Championships. Uh, European Championships won by Annemiek van Vluten. It was an amazing race. If you haven't watched it, you it's um, it was on live so there's replays on Eurosport and also on flow bikes for those in North America um and then that was followed pretty much immediately like a couple days later by La Course by the Tour de France in Nice which was such a cool race I mean it was pretty pretty chill on the on the like first climb of the day and not like chill, chill, but like there weren't fireworks right away, which was, it was a short race. It was only like 96 K. And then on the descent, um, going in cash and and Anna Henderson, who has, is an ex Alpine skier on Sunweb and is just like an amazing descender. The two of them tried to get away on the descent. Kasha is really, really well known for her descending style. Um, that didn't quite work out, but on the second time of the climb, Annemiek Van Vluten hit, hit it. The climb wasn't quite long enough for her to get away. So she ended up dragging away a group of really strong riders with her. She had Kasha Iwadoma, uh, Mariana Voss, two Trek Segafredo riders in Lizzie Dagnan and Elisa Longo Borghini and Demi Vollering, who had an amazing ride, I think. I mean, she's always, she's been showing a lot of uh, potential for for a year or so because she's relatively new to the scene. But to see her in that group with those names was like a new a new experience for viewers. And I think we'll, we'll see it a lot more going forward. But anyway, so leading into the final, the most impressive thing was the duo of Elisa Longoborghini and Lizzie Dagnan because Elisa took the reins of kind of animating the race while Lizzie just got to sit in. And that drew out Mariana Voss early for the sprint and made it possible for Lizzie to outsprint her. So Lizzie Dagnan won La Course, which was... I mean, it's basically a home race for Lizzie. She lives in Monaco, only like, I don't know, 30 minutes away, 40 minutes away. So kind of a really important win for her, but also on the heels of winning GP de Plouay, crashing out of the Europeans, and then having to travel to Nice and winning, of course, just like a completely insane week for Lizzie Dagnan and much of the women's peloton. So that was the course. Thoughts? Thoughts on the course? Well, it was definitely not what we expected and discussed before the race. So I was pleasantly surprised when I was sitting there and watching. Um, I thought it was a really great race. And uh, Annemiek certainly animated it there on the climb. And I don't know, like she obviously was just thinking she just wanted a hard race because once she didn't drop the riders, I guess she figured – yeah, there's nothing to lose now. If if I sit up, maybe they'll relax and then um, the bunch will just sort of come back together in like maybe a group of 20. So 
No, I thought it was a great race and um, I'd like to see it longer, of course. I'm sure the women will, but they made the best of it. It was Anna Meek's tactics were actually really interesting because she got on the front at the base of the climb and she just drove it. Sat, she sat on the front the entire climb. And when she got, if I was her director and I was watching that happen, they they had a time gap, yes, but based on how short the course was and how much of the run in back to the finish was a descent, which is hard to kind of determine how that's going to go. Like if the if the gap wasn't quite big enough, if a team had been organized in the chasing pack behind, which they weren't, oh. there weren't like Sunweb was the only team that had kind of the numbers back there. Notably Bulls Dolmans was completely completely out of the race they only had Chantel black in that chasing group which is just like rewind to two years ago and they were so dominant so it's really really interesting but um Anamique, if i had been her director i would have told her i don't know two-thirds of the way up the climb to stop pulling because she basically just drove that entire group away from the chase. And then there was no way she was going to win out of that group. Oh, like, podium, you match her. Yeah, exactly. There was no way she was going to podium. And in the chasing group behind, you know, she's got really strong riders that could contend for the win. And she, it was a really weird tactical move on her part because she's good at winning by herself on a long climb and she's good at winning on the short climbs too. I mean, we saw her win at Europeans and those aren't long climbs, but, and, but they are harder. I'll give it that. Like the climbs at European are steeper. This climb I rode it the day before and it was just a gradual burner, but she, she shouldn't have like taken all those riders away with her and then continued to pull them away. Yeah, I'm. I'm if that makes I don't sense. know. I'm curious about your opinion, Jose. I'm. I'm. I'm just. Um, I marvelled at how Trexic Afredo really showed how cycling is a team sport because mm. they were the only team with two riders in Present. that breakaway. Mm. And um, I did an interview with Lisa Longo Bugini. It's. It's on the Cycling Tip website from today, from Wednesday. And and she's she's really like cycling is a team sport. And if I can't win, and I'm I'm not a good sprinter, like I never win in a sprint. I ride for somebody else, and that is exactly what she did. And of course, Voss was going to be the fastest sprinter in that group, but by luring her out uh, by that attack, Longo Borghini just made Mayana Voss sprint early, and that was magnificent team play. That was an example that you have to show to people that cycling is actually a team sport. It was think, it was great. Do you think it's got something to do with the fact that only a few days later we hear that she's leaving the team? It does it does make like a little bit more interesting tactics because yeah, she's she's leaving this team she's been on for a really long time and and yeah, we we found out right around La Course, but I think I think it has a little bit to do with her ability so far this season to just win everything. Like I don't I don't know if she thought she could she could drop all of them on that climb going up at the first time. I feel like it was obvious that it wasn't going to be a climber's race. Um but yeah, it was it, for somebody who wins as much as Anamique does and for has been racing for as long as she does. It was just like a a really interesting tactical error to make. Actually, I will weigh in here. I think um, maybe she thought, because she's a very experienced rider, perhaps um, because if we look who was in the chasing group, I think there was only one Mitchell and Scott rider originally. Is that right? Um, she could have I think so, yeah. thought to herself, well, we – we're not going to win today, so I'm going to just hedge my bets and have actually a hard training day because, you know, Anamik, um, well, Jose, you've interviewed her. She's not the sort of person who's just going to sit in a race and sort of roll around, is she? No, she's always going to try. Exactly. But, but just like Flanders 
last year with Bastianelli. Yeah. She just she just doesn't stand a chance in a sprint from Floater. She has to she has to attack. And we, we talked before about how enemy von Floater can lose races. And this is basically it, you know, um in a sprint. Which is which is interesting. Um mm. because uh, she needs these really hard races, and these races were short. The Europeans were short as well, but there she made her mark. Yeah. So it kind of depends on um, on the race. And it's an interesting thing that we are going to get into when we discuss the Giro Rosa, long stages or not. Because there seems to be, a, like some riders say, yeah, short stages are fine, and others say, no, we need like 170 kilometers. So, yeah. But this was a great race. It was nice. It was, and especially Amanda Spratt told me um, that Lacoste had the best viewing figures ever in Australia. And that the Australian television is also going to show the um, Giro Rosa. And she oh, says, wow. this is, yeah, the, this is, this is why people love women's racing. It's, it's exciting all of the time. Yeah, the the live coverage of La Course was from start to finish, which is really cool. Usually we get like a 40 minute 40 minutes of the end of the race, but we did get the full start to finish live coverage of La Course, which was awesome. I mean, we don't get that very often in women's racing and women's racing is exciting from the go a lot of the time. So, seeing the start of a race like that is it's relevant to women's racing. Anyway, moving forward from La Course to more racing in France, we have the Ardèche, the, the, hold on, I can say the full name. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> yeah, great. Um, the Tour Cycliste Feminine Internationale de l'Ardèche, l'Ardèche, Ardèche. So this race is really, like, Lauren, you've done it. Yeah, I've done it, uh... 2014 and 15. 15, I had to leave early because um, I wasn't feeling so good, but my experience in 2014 was really good. Um, it's one of the last stage races, if not the, I think Toscana came afterwards. So it's the last time really, particularly for the Australians, to try and um, make the world's team. And this was the last selection race, and because Pomferrata was yeah, a hilly course, this was the perfect opportunity for riders to sort of test their legs and show where their form was at um and that being said it's a really hard race it's six days long um seven seven so okay back then it was the last six but um yeah yeah it's a great race in a beautiful region of france that i'm sure jose knows lots about um but uh the, the year i did it we didn't race up one two i don't think they did this year either um, which was a bit of a shame, but I love that race and I think it deserves more coverage. Obviously, you know, it's finishing today, two days out from the Giro. So a lot of those riders that are racing there now won't be going across. Some are, um, which is an interesting decision. But um, yeah, uh, you've raced it yourself as well. Yeah, I raced it in 2018 and it was, I mean, it was a really cool race. Like it was beautiful. Every stage was beautiful. Every stage was hard. Like the first two stages were pretty flat, but after that it was just rolling and climbing. And we, we did do Von two, which was a nightmare. I still have nightmares about it, but yeah, it's, it's such a cool race. And we have, in a normal year, we wouldn't even be mentioning it because it is a smaller race. Like it's UCI, but it's a smaller race. It's not really on people's radars, but this year is a little bit more interesting in that there's so little racing that the fact that this race is going on is, is it's a big deal for the riders. Cause there's some race, some riders, this is going to be their only stage race of the year, right? Like riders who are racing this and aren't racing the Giro, like I know team rally isn't, didn't get into the Giro. So they're racing Ardèche, and, and then that's going to be their only stage race they do post tour down under. Um, but it does open up the conversation about, you know, what races 
what races do we care about seeing and what races deserve more coverage and more attention because we in a normal year like we couldn't cover every single race the women have like we couldn't cover every uci race we couldn't cover every stage race they have that covering the world tour is you have to prioritize right but this year it's it was brought to my attention on the Velo Club chat about why we weren't covering this. And I actually started thinking, and I was like, you know what? Like, why aren't we covering this? Because it's kind of like the chicken and the egg situation, right? Like, yeah, the race isn't that big, but if we start covering it, maybe it will grow a little bit of traction. But then the race itself has to want to grow as well. And I don't think that they have any ambitions of being world tour. There's plenty of races that don't want to be world tour because it comes with more expectation and you know yeah you've done exactly you've done the race and you can see that the race is run on a really small budget um i'm not sure if they still stay in that same resort park campground man that campground was rad yeah like ground and it was so cool yes bunk beds (laughs) i loved it yeah. The, the um, great thing, the great thing about this race is, um, I, I've done a few interviews now for cycling tips with the more unknown riders, and a lot of them had their breakthrough performance in Ardèche, like um, Nevadoma, for example, or Mavi Garcia. Or if you look at at the race now, you see a lot of the young cyclocross riders as well. You know, Yara Castellane, who's a cyclocross rider, she's fourth in the GC at the moment. And uh, Shirin van Amroy, the world champion, junior world champion, uh, she was 19th in the GC. She's now going home because uh, they thought five days of racing for an 18-year-old was enough. And she's doing the National Time Trial Championships on Sunday in the Netherlands. But if you look at the list, there's a lot of interesting things. Celine del Carmen Alvarado, the world cyclocross champion, she's currently 12th in the GC. So... There's a, there's a lot of interesting names, and especially for the two American teams, uh, Tipco and Rally. For them, it's it's an important step um, to, to, to just let their riders race because there's nothing left in the States this year. And while well, Lauren Stevens is now leading the GC, and I don't know what – I'm just checking on what the last stage is is going to be. It's going to be rather flat, so it's going to be really difficult for – Garcia to win back 38 seconds so she has a really big chance of winning this which is a great result for Lauren Stevens and for the team as well and I it it would merit more um, television but people always forget that television is crazy expensive and you can do it on a 4G network people like the motor media team do that for the classics in Belgium or uh, LC Jacobs in Luxembourg because those are countries with really good cell phone reception but if you go out in the Ardèche in the mountains you just can't you don't have the cell phone receptions to pull this off so you need helicopters and you need planes to relay the signal and it will cost you about 60 70 thousand euros a day for a day of television so when people scream like yeah we need live televisions like think about it it's for a race like this it would be 420,000 like almost half a million in television costs and the race doesn't have that amount of money they just don't i think though in terms of coverage i wouldn't expect it to be television but just since it's been run the past i suppose 10 years yeah worth mentioning the um the t the the coverage out there is really bad there's just black holes but Mm -hmm. at the end of the day a nice recap with even a short video or something would be great, like of just a rundown because we look at the results and unless some of the mechanics or Swannies are really tweeting about it. Rally is doing uh, a great job in that. They um, tweet every day. Yeah, they're really great. And particularly the mechanic, he puts up some funny things too. Um, I'm lost for the name right now. But that's that's Zane? a good – that's it, Zane. He's a legend. <laughs> yeah, um, he is a legend. That is a Zane. great way. a great way to follow the race and also yeah put those riders in the spotlight a a little bit and yeah shout out to rally they're having a great race there and um it's good to see chloe hosking i'm assuming is taking on a bit of a, a captain's role and that's probably why she went to the team so i'm i'm actually gonna put my hedge my bets on her for the win today yeah i actually i want to use like 
we don't have a ton of listeners to this podcast, but I do want to use this platform as kind of my my commitment personally to cover smaller races like this because I think it's important for the media to kind of take charge in a way. We have a platform, we have a voice, especially Cycling Tips, and Cycling Tips specifically made a commitment earlier this year to cover more women's racing, and we are. We're going to have daily podcasts from the Giro Rosa. We have daily diaries from three riders there. Um, I'm doing daily race recaps on the website and we have people on the ground at the Giro Rosa as well. So we are covering more women's racing, but I think, yeah, the, who, whoever it was on Velo club that called me out or called out cycling tips for not covering this race, we, we should have covered it. And I, going forward, I, I will make it my mission to cover more of these smaller races, but races that have such history like Ardesh and deserve to have, have more coverage. Mm-hmm. That's for the listeners. That's my commitment to you. Anyway, we can move on. Um, yeah, worth noting that Marvi Garcia was leading the GC for the first four stages. Um, and, and is still up there. She's still second on GC and she will be racing the Giro Rosa and there's only one day off in between the two. Um, and she's not the only one doing that. So that's, that's a really interesting decision on her part because that could go well. Um, but, but more likely it's not going to go well because other riders are coming in off of, you know, maybe they had a hard training block, but they had more time to recover. Um, it's going to be, so that's kind of an interesting, it's, I think it's a shame for Garcia. Cause if you look at the world championships course, it is really good for her. And doing seven days of Ardèche, and I've ridden a lot in the Ardèche, and it's hard. It's it's not like the Alps, but you have these these eight, nine, ten kilometer climbs that are always like five, six, seven percent average, and it's an absolutely beautiful region to ride. I'm I'm a bit heavier myself, and for me, the Alpine and Pyrenees climbs are just too hard. So a region like that is is perfect. So just go check it out. You don't have to go to Vantu Abbey and you can also ride other other climbs. But for Garcia, oh, it's I'm so just like, beautiful there. Yeah. She has a really good chance to go on the podium at the World Championships in Italy on this course. And I think she will be absolutely cooked after Ardèche and, and Giro. Not only that, but I think she could have hunted some stage wins at the Giro, potentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um yeah, but I mean, who knows? It might have been the D. She's, I'm assuming it was the DS's decision. Maybe they don't have riders, which I find hard to believe. But <laughs> yeah, we'll just. Have I to mean, see. yeah, it it is curious. Like, if it was her team that sent her there, or if she made the call because she wants to race, um, because it she may be older in terms of age, but in terms of age in the sport she's super green um and maybe she didn't quite think ahead to the Giro Rosa and how big it is this year being the only world tour stage race that's over three stages um I don't know it'll be interesting to watch her because I think based on how she rode at the on the first couple days of our dash and also earlier this new season I feel like she could have been a GC contender. And now I I think that the most we can expect from her is stage hunting. And I hope that I'm proved wrong because she's such an exciting rider to watch. But uh it, yeah, I don't see coming out of the <laughs> coming out of our dash with any kind of fresh legs no, or I, any kind of And valid point. Yeah. She is a green such a green rider. Yes, she's a bit older and she's come from um another background, but I remember in 2013, um, Evelyn Stevens and Trixie Warwick, my two teammates, August 2014, they raced the Giro and then went straight to Turrigan. And they ended up... I remember that. Yeah, it was like a grand tour. And seeing them, I've still got photos at the end of that tour. They were just wrecked. And that year, because Turrigan was so close to the Giro, yes, you had some strong riders, but no one did the double. So you were missing a lot of those key players. So I think that's uh, a really good comparison, uh, doing like first Turingen and then 
doing the because everybody speaks about the Tüdinger Rundfahrt as being a, a crazy crazy hard race and it is it is <laughs> uh, but Ardèche is comparable it is mm-hmm, the same indeed. it's like six versus seven days and just imagine nobody does touring and, and then goes straight onto the Giro that would be crazy yeah. if it was the other way around if she did the Giro and then did Ardèche it would be like oh yeah that totally makes sense yeah 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 but but, but yeah just the way the calendar is and as Jose mentioned the World Championships. Yeah, the World Championships only has four days in between the end, I think maybe four or five days in between the end of the Giro and then the World Championship road race, which actually is a really, it's a, it's well-timed for seasoned riders who are able to recover. Like Mariana Voss, for example, might be going really well at the World Championships. She needs um, that. She proved last year. Yeah, she needs that kind yes, of racing. She definitely. You can see that she's getting better. Now she's racing more. Bosses. Mm. And I had an interview yeah. with Anna van der Brege for, for another outlet. And she said the timing is now perfect between the Giro and um, and the Worlds. And she said, like, um, maybe initially I wasn't planning on during the Giro, but, well, there's not a lot on the calendar, so we are going. But she says the planning is, is really great for both the time trial, which is on Thursday for the women at the Worlds, and the road race on Saturday. So and it's in Italy. They can stay in Italy. So um, there's not a ton of travel. They can do a little bit of recon, a little bit of recovery, recovery rides, and then yeah, I'm looking forward to worlds. I'm gonna be there for cycling tips. So look out for that. Yeah, flashback to like last year's Giro Rosa followed um, immediately by La Course and and Voss won La Course. Yeah, oh man, of course man. she was on the like. Race stomping form at the Giro Rosa. Um, she won what three, four stages at the Giro Rosa. So she was in a little bit better shape last year going into the Giro Rosa. But I think like for her, she would be a rider that can race the Giro Rosa and recover really, really well. Cause she knows how to do it. Cause she's been racing since the dawn of time <laughs> and go into the worlds with really fresh legs. And then there's other riders who will, will, feel some like fitness gain from the Giro Rosa for sure, but maybe won't recover as fast. I don't know if we already made the jump to the Giro, but the team list at the Giro is a little bit weird. We, so yeah, let's talk about, we're going to do kind of our own Giro preview. We're not going to go super deep into each stage because like I said, I will be doing daily podcasts. So I'll go over every single stage when, when we get to it, um, starting on Friday, but yeah, we have, some very odd choices for like the notable absence on the team list is Park Hotel Valkenberg and Demi Vollering um, with them. But yeah, Sun, all the World Tour teams are there, right? Sunweb, Movistar, Trek, Segafredo, Bulls, Dolmans is not World Tour, but they are the, well, not the best team in the world anymore, but they used to be. Hmm. Mitchelton Scott, uh, Lotto Sudal. Is Lotto Sudal World Tour? Nope. I don't no. think. No, it's not. FTG. Um, yeah, FDJ, Canyon Stram, CCC Live, Astana. Like, there are all of the teams you would expect to be there. Um, Polyka, but there are some quite odd teams as well. So, Yosei, do you want to go into that a little bit? Yeah, I was, uh, I was yeah, of course, shocked that Park Hotel Valkenburg is not going to be there with Demi Vollering, who is arguably one of becoming one of the best cyclists in the world. She's, she's, moving towards that top 10 position, I think, especially in, in hilly races. Um, clubs, of course, I understand, you know, the Italian teams, um, Bianche, Falcar, Top Girls, Servetto, but the two teams from the east of Europe, Lviv Cycling Team and the Minsk Cycling Club, mm. I don't get it. I just don't. Um, and, of course, the Casa Dorada Women's Cycling Team that was that was dead and then rose again is back i have i'm so curious as to what happened there because they were they were scheduled doing races in belgium in march and then there was talk that there was no money that they had like four four or five million go up in smoke and and all of a sudden when we restarted the season back in august they were back all of a sudden there was a team again (laughs) (laughs) so but now they're racing the Giro. but especially these two teams from um from the east, Lviv and Minsk, I was like, okay. I have to admit, I've never, <laughs> never heard of Lviv. No, neither have I. 
Um, Which is, it's really weird that a team that three people who are pretty knowledgeable in women's cycling, um, if I do say so myself, have never heard of this team that's been invited to the biggest women's world tour stage race. And they have... Um, they on the calendar, have, they don't even have an Italian on the list. You thought, okay, maybe they invite it because they're they have Italian riders, but they don't. It's it's mostly Ukrainian riders. And if you go to the club from Minsk, it's only riders from Belarus. It's like, yeah. why are they there? And why is why is Volkotel Valkenburg not? <laughs> it's weird. Yeah. Also, I think Tibco should have been invited as well. Like, been making the jump over here for a really long time, and their their roster is really international as well. So, they're like the only American uh, team that really makes an effort to be over in Europe. Not counting Trexigafredo because they are full time in Europe. But yeah, I I would have liked to see Tibco on the list, like just as an American. Well, absolutely, and they have the they have the strong team to do that as well. But I read that Tibco wants to go, wants to try and make that jump up to to World Tour um, in the near future. But it all comes down, of course, to whether they will get the sponsors to do that. But their team is 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 big and and strong enough to write the Giro and they were already in Europe you know um so yeah it's a shame that both like Rally and Tipco are not there so yeah well we don't know the reasons of course maybe these eastern european teams are based in italy you know a lot of oh they eastern- could well be no yeah. the organizers or yeah and a lot of that these- effect and also a lot of these Eastern European riders, look at, for example, Peter Sagan. They all had their um, first clubs in Italy. They grew up oh. in Italy. Um, for them, it's a logical step. Like a lot of other people think, okay, I have to go to Belgium. I, I spoke to Amanda Spread about that. She said, okay, sometimes yeah, like uh, women like Sarah Roy or Chloe Hoskin, they just went to Belgium. But for a lot of Eastern Europeans, it's it's Italy for some reason. Also in the past, back in the 80s, 90s, with some very dodgy riders in the men's peloton, they all came through Italy. Interestingly, like speaking of nationalities being at this race, I'm looking at pro cycling stats. And Me too. the Giro Rosa <laughs> has been won. <laughs> it's been won by an American or a Dutch rider for the last 10 years. The last time that a non-American or Dutch rider won the Giro Rosa was in 2009 with Claudia Lichtenberg. What? Other than that, it was like Mara Abbott, Mariana Voss, Mariana Voss, Mara Abbott, Mariana Voss, Anna van der Bregen, <laughs> Megan Garnier, Anna van der Bregen, Annemiek van Vluten, Annemiek van Vluten. So like it's all Americans and Dutch that win this race. And and I think there's only three Americans on the start line this year, two of which have a really good shot at winning some stuff. So that's really an interesting thing, but... Yeah, I I had I didn't know that before. That's a fun fact that I like. <laughs> um, yeah, so we don't have an official start list, so we can't quite go into who's going to be there and who to watch, but we can kind of briefly touch on, you know, the riders that we know are going to be there and like are pretty clear people to watch and something that stands out for me um when looking at the potential start list. I think I think is that there's the, a lot of if I can interrupt if if you look at like races like this, um, cycling fever has usually the better start lists for uh, the women's racing. So little shout out to them, cyclingfever.com. And I just, uh, they have a, a few more names on the start list um, already. Some of the teams have announced their team or some of the riders tweeted that they were doing um, the Giro. So it's a little bit more extensive list to look at. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, what kind of stands out on this Ross on the, on like what could be the potential, um, start list is there's a lot of duos. There's a lot of like the strongest duo being, um, Elisa Longo Borghini and Lizzie Dagnan. I think they proved in La Course, um, that they, those two are a force to be reckoned with together, but there's also like you know, on, uh, Polly Kaw, we've got Lizzie Banks and, um, Leah Thomas. 
and yeah, and FDJ, we got Cecily Utrecht Ludwig and Brody Chapman. Mm-hmm. Um, Brody's a really good climber. She's not had a stomping start back to the season, but I I expect it's just a matter of time. And a race like the Giro Rosa suits her because stage races are a little. She's pretty new to racing. Mm-hmm. Stage races are a little bit chiller than one day races. There's just like a more calm atmosphere. It's less, you know, one chance. Uh, you have nine chances to win a stage um, and nine chances to win the GC. So I think for her, it will be uh, more beneficial this race than, say, LaCourse. On CCC Live, Mariana Voss and Ashley Moenpasio, if Ashley races. Um, so, yeah, and it's, really, it's really cool. Sprat and Van Vleuten. Yeah, and Va- and Sprat and Van Vleuten on Mitchelton Scott. And then Bowles has Anna Vandenbergen. And <laughs> it's just, Katie I don't know, is it just me? Well? That- Katie, Katie's not racing. Okay. So they've got her here. If she was, then I would say, yeah, the duo of Katie Hall and Anna Vandenbergen, because Katie is such a good climber. Um, but we can get into the course in a little bit because it might not have suited her as well as like, say, last year. Um, but yeah, I like this. I like this duo thing because it's not like, it's not like, uh, Mo- the like classic men's Movistar team of like having multiple cards to play and then playing all of them wrong. <laughs> I think that like for for women having this these two possible chances, it's like it ends better in women's racing normally. And I like it. I like I like the way that that it's looking like the Giro will go. I don't know. What do you guys think about the start list and riders? Well, yeah, it's definitely all, all the people that we expect to be there are going to be there. Like you mentioned previously, this is the stage race of the year for the women. So, um, And also being so close to the world championships, like you really want to be in form here. Um, and for the climbers, I'm just looking at the preview you've done here on cycling tips of the, the nine stages, Abby. Abby and... It basically looks like stage one is flat and then it's just hilly the whole race. Interestingly, stage one is a TTT and actually, um, Kenya, it's like a short one. It's like 16 K, I believe. Canyon SRAM went over and pre-rode the TTT and Ellen and Cicchini had to call the race promoter and say, you're, you cannot use this course because they had put in a bunch of like bike paths and there was like where a tree root grows up underneath the pavement and there's like a bubble in the pavement and the course was so dangerous that she called the promoter and said you need to change this um so so they did change it but yeah it's a pancake flat team time trial to start it off which really suits I mean, Trek Segafredo won Valgarda last year, which was a really, really long time ago now, but was our most recent team time trial, um, which w- they have Ellen Van Dyke on the start, so she can probably just, you know, go and they can all just hang yeah. on for dear life. 16 kilometer relay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, it starts off with a team time trial and then we go into stage two, which is 124K rolling and it's hard from the go and we can look at the courses and the previews and everything um and the profiles of each each course but something that Giro is really well known for is uh wrong don't trust wrong. The profiles yeah <laughs> exactly so it's the uncategorized climbs that always get you yeah and and like the chances of them going into a race thinking like oh for example like stage stage two is kind of hilly stage three is kind of hilly but like ends it ends in a kick but it's relatively flat from like midway onward the chances of that being a lot harder than it looks are pretty high (laughs) so yeah it's the giro rosa is its own um its own form of of adventure choose your own adventure yeah for sure i think you need to do a choose your own adventure for this at some point (laughs) um but just looking at for me i'm just Again, like you mentioned, with the profiles, you can't really trust them as such. But maybe stage five might be an opportunity for the sprinters because it's just a it's a category three climb. 
So if they can get over that, then they still have like 55 kilometers to the finish essentially, which you mentioned as being more of a downhill. Cause I was just kind of having a look here and thinking, ah, oh, for the sprinters, when will there be like a sprinters day? Because as we mentioned, one, I think before the course, yeah, <laughs> one day, maybe, um, we haven't really had any big bunch kicks, have we? No, yeah, we haven't had we we all thought the course was going to be a sprinter's race and we were proved wrong. very 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 wrong. <laughs> um so so yeah, it will be interesting to see if the sprinters get any opportunities and I mean, I think stage 5 is a really good opportunity for the sprinters. Stage 6 could be an opportunity for like the sprinters that can still get over climbs cuz that the climbs on stage six, it's not as jagged as a lot of the other stages. It's more like a, a gradual stair step and then it descends to the finish. So that could be like a really interesting day for like Mariana Voss who can climb and sprint. Um, and then one of the stages we, we have to talk about is stage four because it is 170 kilometers. Yeah, yeah this this, the this, that's long. In yeah, a stage long. race? Yeah, yeah, that is long. <laughs> and uh, Cecilia Utrip Ludwig actually co- press conference recently to talk about the Giro Rosa, and and this is what she had to say. Oh, it's so cool and like yes, finally we're being taken. Like I feel we've been taken seriously, and like they don't think that our uterus will fall out if we like ride long stages or if we do long climbs or you know like this is. This is what we need, and it's just been because, like, coming from last week, only doing like 90k race or 98 or you know, like up to 100k's, it just felt like, yeah, a bit, a bit um, sad to to only do 100k's and like, oh yeah, we need to to do the women's race uh, to shorten the women's race because we need to be finished before the men because like the men is the most important. Like, it always feels like. Um, being deep, deprioritized. How, how do you? Yeah. Um, so it's it's really cool to to have these longer uh, stages because um, I think um, we deserve having uh, some some proper distances and not junior distance. So yeah, it's really interesting. They've thrown in a hundred and seventy kilometer kilometer long stage there. The and thing is that I I spoke to Amanda Spread for cycling tips and. Um, She's she's absolutely amazing, and she's she's been racing for for quite a while right now. And she says, I don't think that longer is better. If it's longer than four hours, it tends to get boring. And if you look at the Tour of Flanders last year, that was 160 kilometers as well, plus 10 neutral, so that makes 172, um, 170 as well. And it was. A, it was a, a typical um, men's race with a breakaway for the first two and a half hours or something mm-hmm. down the road. And Amanda said, well, it's, I think short races are more dynamic. And we've shown in the past weeks with Pluet and with La Course and also with the European Championships, which obviously she didn't race, but um, that short is not always bad. And I understand Sicily's point of view that, they want to be taken seriously. Ami Floater told me the exact same thing uh, with the example for exa- uh, in, in Tokyo that the men have a race which is basically a climber's race and the women have a race that is flat, which is weird. They want to be treated as equal, but I'm more on the Amanda Spread line that um, longer is not always more exciting. Especially because everybody is afraid of 170 and will wait and conserve energy and not race it um, straight from the gun. Mm, that's a valid point. Not not only is it 170, it's also like a pretty hard profile. Up and down all well. day. Yeah, yeah, it's not flat 170, which I th- I mean it will make it more interesting because it has to. If it was flat, like they could just sit, but with some of the climbing that there is, I, I don't think that that is um, a possibility for, I think it, it'll nat- naturally break apart. Um, but I actually don't agree. I think it's pretty cool that they've thrown this in here. I mean, it, yeah, it could be a really boring day. Um, it could be, but it could also be 
It could also really show a test of who is able to take on like this, and it suits Annemiek Van Vluten to because the she's the only yep. yeah, she's the only person in the peloton that trains like this, like that amount of kilometers. Um, but it does also it it just throws in an added element of um, of timing and endurance that we don't really see in women's racing. But I also, yeah, I, I do see the women's races are generally shorter. And so women know how to race them. And it's the same as if you have a men's race that they shorten, like a 90K men's race. They don't know how to race it because they don't ever do it. And it's a completely different style of racing. And for like a woman racing a 90K race, like they do it all the time. So they know how to take it on. And it's really exciting because... Um, there's, there's a little bit of, uh, you know, premeditation that can go into it for a 170 K race like this, especially thrown into stage four of a nine day stage race. It is, it will be, I don't know. It's a toss up what it will be. And I agree with Amanda and she's so experienced in his race for a long time that it, you don't have to see regular races of 170 kilometers in the woman's scene. Yeah, I agree. Like, we don't need this every single day. No. But to throw it in here will be an interesting test. But yeah, I don't I don't want I don't want um like the one days to be 170k. I like those races that are shorter and harder and more exciting. Like, yeah, La Course could have been longer, but it was so exciting to watch. So you've if you added one more lap of La Course, it would have been a completely different race. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But um, I guess the next question is, who's going to win this race? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, usually there's only one, isn't there? Yeah. But let's go for Anna Poedebrecht this year. Yeah, she's looking. She's looking good. Um, she she had a strong week with world with a with a world with the national championships and and Europeans. Um, unfortunately, she cra- She was caught in a crash at the European Championships, but the TT she won just handedly. So she is a good pick. Lauren, who's your pick? Well, it's it's hard to go past Annemiek, but. Um... Yeah, I'm going to say Anna Meek or Anna Vanderbregen, but you never know what this Giro is going to throw at the peloton. Have people ridden the stages yet? Has Anna Meek been doing some recon? Um, I know there was some mention, and I'm looking here at the Cycling Tips website now, that there's no big mountain stages. Yeah, it's like all rolling. It's all like kind of rolling. There is one 10-kilometer climb in the first couple of days that isn't on the profile. Okay. Um, that definitely the riders, you know, Anamik will know about that because the riders themselves go in and reroute all of these. I know like Mara Abbott would tell me about how when the route was announced, she would go herself and route the whole thing and like look at it on Google Maps and stuff to make sure – which is to make to like know where the surprise climbs were. Um, so that, so if there is a surprise climb, like the experienced riders will know <laughs> and Anamik will know if there is a surprise climb and if she can hit it. So at some point there is a 10 kilometer climb near the finish. I believe it's on stage two or three. So yeah, she, she'll be able to that would be a good one for her, but then she's got to, if it's early in the race, she has to hold the Jersey all the way through, which this course doesn't suit her as well as, uh, as Giro Rosa's in the past. It is a lot more one day style courses each day, like more poppy, shorter climbing, um, maybe more aggressive, like, style courses but yeah less of the really long hard uphills which she says in her in a pre-race interview that this this isn't a a hard Giro Rosa but I think that she means it's not hard enough long climbs this will suit more of more of like a classic style rider so for me I'm going Elisa Longo Borghini to win um 
this is kind of a heart pick because she's been so vocal about her love for Italy and everything going on with coronavirus there. And especially when she was in lockdown, I did an interview with her that was really moving, but also she's on flying form and her team is really coming together. And I think that the courses really suit her this year. Um, but she also has an added benefit of just passion that I think could really push her into into the top spot. And I year. think, uh, as you mentioned, Jose, the team aspect of Trek Segafredo, this course, just looking at it, is going to suit that team. So, you know, if it was a really mountainous tour where you have Annemiek just driving it and, like, the pure climb is just sticking in with her, then, okay, maybe not. But, you know, Trek has a lot of riders who can climb very well. And um, I think they're going to be the dominant force here, to be honest. I actually, I had a chat with um, Ruth Winder about about the Giro Rosa and about her team. So this seems the perfect time to to slot that in. So let's hear what Ruth had to say about this race and about Trek Segafredo going into it. So... I'm here with professional cyclist Ruth Winder of the Trek Segafredo squad, who will be doing our audio diaries daily on the Tour de France daily podcast. So this is freewheeling, but if you want to hear her audio diaries, you can subscribe to the daily cycling tips podcast and her audio diaries, as well as a review of every stage of the Giro Rosa will be on the daily episodes coming from the Tour de France. But for now, we're doing a preview episode, and because Ruth lives with me, she really had no choice but to sit down and talk to me about what she's about to do. So, Ruth, how, just in general, like with the racing so far and all of the chaos and and being back to racing, how are you feeling? Um, It's good to be back racing. It was a big adjustment, I think. It was really nice to be home for so long, but... And I kind of was nervous at first that racing would feel really, I don't know, odd, but it feels really natural to be back in the peloton and, and it feels good to be good to be racing. And we've had a really good start to the new season. So that's been exciting. Yeah. Trek Segafredo's had a really good start, especially, I mean, Elisa Longaborghini and Lizzie are just flying right now, which is awesome. But you guys have also had probably more than any other team a more time together like more team camps and stuff because you've had two team camps since since the lockdown ended and getting back to racing yeah we have spent a lot of time I think I spent six weeks straight with the team actually which was (laughs) which was you know it was good no it was really good we all get along really well um we have calls everybody needs their own space um but it's really good that the entire team is really professional and gets along really well we all really like each other so that's super helpful we have spent a lot of time with each other I think right now a lot of teams are kind of traveling together a bit more but yeah it's just kind of the way that it is, it's just cutting out travel back home sometimes for a short, when before we would maybe come back home for a couple of days, now we'll just stay together on the road. Do you think part of the success of the team is also the fact that you're in your second year now, so the team has had like a year to kind of iron out any any wrinkles that would have been, you know, any, any team, its first year as a team, no matter how experienced the writers and the directors are, is always going to have, you know, a little bit of adjustment but now you guys are in your second year and it seems like everything's going really well so do you think that that has anything to do with it I think yeah of course there's always that element of everybody getting to know each other I think we still had a pretty successful year last year but also I think it's just Elisa has really come into her own and it has so much motivation coming out of this pandemic which is really inspiring and Obviously, Lizzie didn't really race the entire season with us last year, so she's kind of like really come back full swinging after the lockdowns as well. So that's been pretty exciting. Um, but yeah, we feel like a really well gel team. We didn't really change the roster at all after last year, so it was pretty much all of the same riders. And yeah, it's a cool feeling. So multiple types of riders, but two types of riders are like the rider who memorizes the road book before the race even starts. And the rider who kind of goes day by day, looking at the stage for tomorrow when then not wanting to look ahead because of fear (laughs) and other reasons. So what do you prefer? Do you prefer kind of looking through the road book, pinpointing stages that you think might be important, or do you kind of just wing it? 
Um, a little bit of both. I definitely look at the road book and have a general over idea, but as an opportunistic writer, I think that I'm just like, okay, we'll just see what the next day's coming and where I am on the GC, especially for a stage race. It's good to know if like the next day's a massive mountain or not. Um, but yeah, I just look for my opportunities in the race a bit too. You never really know what, what'll happen. Um, and I don't like to get too overwhelmed with every stage. I'm like, okay, one day at a time. <laughs> and Usually the Giro Rosa is known for being like the only climber specific stage race that the women have. Um, there's usually like a ton of huge mountains, which is how like Mar Abbott has won the Giro multiple times and Anamik last, last year won it on all the big mountains. But this year is really different. It's actually a lot of really rolling stages and it's by no means an easy race, but it kind of opens up the GC a little bit and coming from the GP to Plue and also the course where you just had Elisa Longaborghini and Lizzie Dagnan, two of your teammates who were just like unbelievable on courses like that. Does it give you a lot of confidence going into this race? Do you feel like it's a more open race? Yeah, definitely. They're really good on the climbs right now. And I think it's really exciting because in previous years, yeah, I've been like lead out girl into the bottoms of mountains so many times, which is totally fine. So I think that this year I'll have a completely different feel. But yeah, beyond them, I think, you know, Ellen Van Dyke is also super strong and, and Taylor were all, I feel like a really rounded team. So I think it really suits us in general as an entire team, which I think is really fun. Um, yeah, I mean, we'll just have to wait and see but it's I think we, they have a lot of confidence particularly from being able to stick with Van Vluten up the last climbs in the last couple of races and what are kind of the roles on the team of everybody like going into the race does everybody know exactly what their job is going to be and has like had experience doing that job or does it change day to day like what is kind of the team dynamic I think Everybody knows each other really well at this point. We've all been teammates for, this is the second year now, we've all been teammates. Um, and I just think that, um, I've just completely lost my train of thought because I was thinking, no, it's definitely only been two years, but I thought maybe it's been three years. Um, no, and so I think we all pretty much know, and especially with the racing we've done recently, like Elisa and Lizzie have just been on such great form and they're climbing so, so well that uh, they'll be our GC riders and especially Elisa because she she's, loves the Giro. She's from Italy. It's her race. Everybody knows it's her big thing. And for riders like Taylor and myself, it's kind of like, okay, we'll look for stages and go from there, but also set up our climbers in the best position we can. The TTT will be a huge goal for us. We won our last team time trial in Sweden over a year ago now, or maybe almost exactly a year ago, something like that. It seems crazy, but um, that's a really, really big goal for us right off the bat to try and win that first stage. And this is your fifth Giro Rosa? Oh, goodness. Um, my first one was 2013, actually, when Mara won that year with the national team. And I think it might be my fifth now. I'd have to think about it for a second. <laughs> do you, what do you kind of think of this race? Cause there's, there's a little bit of controversy with, with this race in that it's the biggest stage race that the women have. And yet there's never any live coverage. The race doesn't really promote themselves at all. And it usually overlaps with the tour, which even though the tour has changed dates, it's still overlapping with the tour this year, which just means that it kind of gets shafted when it comes to coverage. Cause everyone's so tour mad. So that was all like negativity, but there is like positive aspects of the race too. I mean, it is the longest, the longest stage race the women have. It's got a huge history, but what do you, what are your kind of feels about this race? Oh, love and frustration. When do those two things not come together? <laughs> um, yeah, for sure. Everything you said, I think that, yeah, the, the race itself, the coverage is not great and that's really frustrating, but the having a long stage race like this is it's the only one we have and I've been doing it since I first started racing and I really love this race just because it is such a nice long stage race and generally the courses are really hard and just doing a stage race just feels completely different from a one day and as someone that doesn't necessarily love like the hectic <laughs> uh, behaviors that a one day brings and I really love the calm of the stage racing and the different opportunities and how sometimes you can ride into the race a little bit more um 
But I think, yeah, the lack of coverage is really frustrating at times. And even sometimes a little bit, the lack of organization within the race, it's very Italian, just a bit all over the place sometimes, um, which is also frustrating. Sometimes the road book will be like, it's flat. And then you all of a sudden have like a seven kilometer, 12% average climb in the middle of the race. So (laughs) even small things like that can be really frustrating, but they do keep coming back every year. And they do, I think, try to support us as much as we can. And then there's people like Cycling Tips that are trying to like bring us more coverage as well. And I think overall, everything is just being lifted to a high level. So we can just keep hoping for the future. Yeah. Do you think that this is like kind of not really Jira related, but women's cycling related? There's with all of the changes that are going on right now with the UCI and, and the way that they're changing teams and everything. Do you think that it's getting to a point where teams are more equal to each other. So the racing is getting a little bit more dynamic and a little bit like deeper in the field. Yeah, definitely. I think like overall teams, everybody's got a strong roster. It's kind of like looking at a team now and being like, oh, they have like four or five really, really good riders versus just one, which is just makes the overall racing really hard and really good. Yeah. Cool. That's yeah. Cause it, it's it's really interesting because one of the teams that's been the strongest team for years and years, Bulls Dolmans, hasn't really been a factor in the last couple of races, which doesn't say anything about, I think, their lack of strength. I think it's more that everyone else is kind of on their level. Well, not everyone, but a lot of other teams are on their level now, one being Trek Segafredo. Yeah, definitely. I think that that's people used to look at them and think, oh, okay, like that's the dream team that doing everything right. They're just all so strong. They don't really have to have a race meeting. They can just be like, who wants to win today? That's just how it felt, you know, like, um, and I think definitely like they've not been as dominant. And I think that's just because the level has grown so much higher, but we have to thank them for that too, a little bit. I think like, because they were so dominant that it just really motivated so many other girls. Um, and then the whole level and women's cycling has just been growing so much too. And, with support and so many more teams are kind of linked with men's teams and have been shown more support that way. I think like everything brings itself up in a way. And I guess the same thing's kind of happening with Anamique because she, she's been so good, but everyone wants to win. So now it's kind of elevating, elevating everyone else's style of training and racing and how they approach it. Yeah, I think so. I think that that's the way sport has kind of show itself to be across board in, in many different many different sports so it's exciting as far as the preparation for this race it's a little bit interesting because there's not much racing so it's kind of hard to you know usually you can gauge what you need to work on through the races and there's usually the women's tour before the Giro Rosa so you've got like there's a little bit of stage racing before you can before you jump into a a 10-day race but you haven't had any stage racing since the tour down under which you won um so what is that how does that change kind of the preparation going into a 10 day? Oh, I mean, I think we're all in the same boat, which is helpful. Um, yeah, I think it's been a really odd year and everybody's just trying to find their own footing within it. Um, so I think for us, we've had still some pretty good races, um, and lots of riders had almost a stage race. I feel like with Europeans and Plue and everything and Lacoste just this last week. Um, but for me, I've just been able to have a couple of hard one days and then do some really good training rides here in Girona. Um, and then hopefully, hopefully it's enough. I'm a little bit, a little bit nervous for this team time trial to start off the bat, but it's just holding on to Ellen's wheel. Like it just set Ellen in front and everybody just holds on for dear life. <laughs> Um, so finally, right after the Jero Rosa is the world championships. How do you think that's going to play out? Because usually you guys have the Jero Rosa and then you have LaCourse. So having a one day, that's like a pretty big, like as far as what it means in cycling to win LaCourse, it obviously means more to win the world, but it's still, you know, you're going from the Jero Rosa into a big one day race. Does it make it? less terrifying going into worlds because you've got this big block of hard stuff or is it kind of like well I guess we'll figure out that when we get there wonderful question not thought about it at all (laughs) I think I'm just like on a I think I'm just on a yeah let's just wait and see what happens kind of thing like with Lacoste was it last year or the year before we had one day in between or something and it was really interesting to see who managed that well and who was like nope no legs today goodbye everybody um so I think it'll be interesting to see I think we still have I think 
it's six days. Yeah, we finished the Giro on the 19th and then we start in Worlds is on the 26th. So yeah, just about six days. So probably enough to just recover and hold on. And, you know, we'll see. I'm sure at that point, like you're a little bit mentally fatigued too, just so much travel. And then pretty much this weekend is the only weekend I don't race for the next couple of weeks or next five weeks or so, just because after that, it's so heavy with racing. But I think everybody's just excited to have race days at this point and it feels so up in the air half the time anyway. So we shall see. (laughs) Well, I'm here to keep you on your toes. Make sure you're thinking one step ahead. (laughs) Um, Thanks so much for chatting with me. And we, we being the collective cycling tips listeners and also staff can't wait to hear your audio diaries. All right, so so that was Ruth, and Ruth's voice you're you're gonna get really used to hearing because she is actually doing her usual. This is her third year in a row doing daily diaries for me at the Giro Rosa, so we'll be hearing from Ruth every single day. But for now, that is the freewheeling episode for this week. We will be back right before the World Championships. Our next episode will be pre World Championships. However, there will be dailies from the Giro Rosa coming at you. Yeah. So, but that's kind of a different situation. Our next long form episode is going to be from the world championships. So Lauren, Jose, thank you guys so much for joining me. Thanks for having us, Abby, and look forward to chatting in two weeks time post Giro. Ooh, almost world's time. Best race of the year. Yeah. (laughs) 